Okay, let's open up our Bibles to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1. You can get that in your left hand and John chapter 14 in your other hand. In your third hand, you can get Exodus. And if you got a fourth hand, get Numbers. <laughs> We're going to be all over the place today. Deuteronomy chapter 1. And uh, in keeping with our theme of Vision Sunday, we're talking about things that are down the path a little bit. Today we're going to talk about take your journey. Take your journey. And you'll see this phrase used over and over in the writing of Moses. But let me show it to you from the New Testament perspective. Look at John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse number 31. John 14 and verse 31. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's had the last supper with his disciples. And now he's giving them some final instruction so that they can carry on after he dies and after he's gone back to heaven. John 14, 31. He says, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. And then this last sentence. Arise, let us go hence. What's he saying? Gentlemen, it's time for us to take our journey. You have gotten used to me on the earth leading you for three and a half years. And you've walked with me and we've had some ups and downs, but we've made some progress. But now I'm about to die. I'm about to go and where I go, you can't follow me. Not right now. And when I go, I'm going to send the comforter. But gentlemen, that journey is out ahead of us. We have got to arise and get moving. So John chapter 16, look with me at verse number 7. The, the apostles were, of course, troubled at this saying. They thought, how are we going to manage without our master right here in the flesh to lead us, to guide us? Jesus said in John 16, verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart... I will send him unto you. He said, gentlemen, I know you don't like what's about to happen, but it's good for you. You may not want to take this journey, but this journey is what you need to take. It is going to be expedient, immediately helpful for you. You've got to take this journey. So we've looked at it now in the New Testament sense. After we pray, we're going to look at it in the Old Testament sense as Israel was coming through the wilderness into their promised land. But before we take a look at that, let's bow our heads and pray together, please. Father, we thank you this morning for the blessings of being able to sing and talk about how you've worked in the year past and what we plan to do in the year coming. Lord, whatever the journey is for each of us as individuals, whatever the journey is for our church, we desire to walk together with you and trust you as we go. And Father, even this service, we put it in your hands and ask that you would please do the work in our hearts. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let's begin reading at verse number 6. And I'm going to take you through several verses in the writing of Moses, and then I'm going to preach for a while. I hope that's okay. Usually I preach as I go through verses, but today I want to give you some observations and then try to encourage you about this journey. Deuteronomy 1 verse 6. It says, the Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb. Horeb is another name for Sinai. The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. He said, gentlemen, you've been here long enough. 
time to take your journey. Verse 7, turn you and take your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites and unto all the places nigh thereunto in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, and by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, and unto Lebanon, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. Moses is preparing Israel to arise up to rise up and go into the promised land. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is right at the end of Moses' life. So he's giving them some of their history. You're getting a short history lesson in Deuteronomy 1, 2, all the way up until the end of chapter 3. And the point that he's making is, guys, back when God brought us out of Egypt, the plan was never to bring us to Horeb and leave us there. The plan was always that we would spend some time at Sinai receiving the Word of God, but then there's more journey. There is a promised land. Now, how would you and I think of a promised land? What does that mean to us? For you and I, entering into the promised land is entering into the center of God's will. It is finding that perfect fellowship with God where you are walking in the light as He is in the light. If you are wandering in the wilderness... You need to take that journey and press towards the promised land. You say, what is the promise? The abundant life that Jesus came to offer us. That is what's waiting for you at the end of the journey. Now bear in mind, as you take this journey in your life, when you arrive in the promised land, you'll be in the center of God's will. You'll be doing exactly what He wants you to do for that moment. You know who you're going to find in the promised land? Canaanites, Avites, Girgashites. Cellulites. You'll find all sorts of ites in that land. And you have to fight the ites. Amen? Once you get into the land, it is a fight to maintain your position in the land. The enemy will constantly try to push you back out of the land. And sometimes you will backslide. You've made it into the land. You're right where God wants you to be. And I'm not talking necessarily geography. I'm talking about in your heart. You are growing at the pace that He desires. You're not stuck where you were 10 years ago with no growth. You're growing. You're fighting. You're carrying that cross. You're maintaining. But sometimes you backslide. And you find yourself down in the wilderness again. You know what you need to do? Take another journey. There's an old song we used to sing. Take another lap around Mount Sinai until you learn your lesson. <laughs> And some of us spend a long time going round and round Sinai. You backslide and you've got to fight your way back up, take that journey back into the land, and once you get there, it's going to be another battle to maintain that walk with the Lord. But one day, praise God, one day your journey will be over. One day you'll cross Jordan for the very last time. And those cold, chilly waters of Jordan that represent death, you will cross over. This time, you will be in the center of God's will in a special way that you've never experienced before. You will not be seeing Him by faith, but by sight. And you talk about Vision Sunday. You will see Him face to face, eye to eye, and the journey is over. But until then, brethren, you have to take your journey. So look at Exodus chapter, you hold Deuteronomy, we'll come back. 
Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40, let's look at verses 34 down to 38, right at the end of the book. Exodus chapter 40 and verse number 34. They have just built the tabernacle. You understand Israel has been there at Mount Sinai for about three months. Uh, Forgive me, they they came there in the third month. I said that wrong. They, They came there in the third month of the first year after they came out of Egypt. They've been at Sinai. They've been there almost a year by this point. So they have built a tabernacle. They have pitched their tents. They're kind of getting used to how it feels at Sinai. This is what happens in our Christian life. We grow a little bit, and then we get stuck in a rut. But I'm used to it here. I know what Sinai is like. I know how it feels at Horeb. But that's not the end of the journey. Verse 34, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their what? Journeys. You know what's going to be wonderful? As you take these journeys, the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day, the Lord's presence never leaves. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But I will admit, and I think you can agree with me here, wouldn't it be nice if we still saw the fire and the cloud? Lord, I don't know what to do. Please show me your will. Fire. Okay, I'll just follow that. Wouldn't that be so much better? Okay, we'd like to say yes Don't we have something even better than that living inside of us? Could it be that just like the pillar of fire, if your eyes aren't open, it does you no good? If you are not paying attention to what God is showing you, it doesn't matter what He's showing you. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. This is Jesus Christ in spiritual form. How dare we say that's not enough? And when you feel the tug of the Holy Spirit saying it's time to take some more steps in your journey, be sensitive to that. You have put your head in the yoke when you feel the lead ox tug, follow along. It's time to take the journey. Come in your Bible to Numbers chapter 10, please. Numbers chapter 10. You can hang on to Deuteronomy, but get Numbers chapter 10. As I mentioned earlier... Israel came out of Egypt. Was a, that's a picture of your salvation. The blood of the Lamb is what redeemed them and brought them out during that Passover evening. They've made it into the wilderness there at Mount Sinai. They are there for almost a year. Numbers chapter 10, verse 11. It says, And it came to pass on the twentieth day of the second month, in the second year, that the cloud was taken up from off the tabernacle of the testimony. So from the third month of the first year, to the second month, 20th day of the second year. It's almost a full year. They've been at Horeb, and the fire by night, the cloud by day, it's just been that. If the fire isn't moving, don't move. But then now it starts to move. This is the first time Israel had to take a journey. This is the first big one since the tabernacle, since the fire, all of it. This is the first one. 
And they're looking around going, okay, are we ready for this? And as, if you read Numbers 10, they have to blow a trumpet and everybody assembles all their goods. They have to pack up their tents and everybody has to get in line and here we go. We're marching through the wilderness. In their minds, they're heading towards the promised land. In verse 12, and the children of Israel took their journeys out of the wilderness of Sinai and the cloud rested in the wilderness of Paran. And they took, they, I'm sorry, they first took their journey according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. They're taking their journey. Could be exciting. It should be exciting. Unless, unless you got comfortable at Horeb. Unless you grew a little bit and thought to yourself, that's enough. The promised land, the promised land sounds good, but I'm comfortable here at Horeb. And then when we have a tabernacle, we have the law, we have an altar, isn't that good enough? Not if there's more that God wants to show you. You need to take your journey. Numbers 10, look at verse 33. 1033. And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days' journey. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in three days' journey, in the three days' journey, to search out a resting place for them. I'm always curious how that looked. Was the ark of the Lord just floating? Was somebody carrying it? I, I'm not sure. It doesn't really explain that. I, it would be strange if it was floating. But that's my imagination. Now, the next time you read it, you'll think that too. <laughs> Verse 34, And the cloud of the Lord was upon them by day when they went out of the camp. And it came to pass when the ark set forward that Moses said, Rise up, Lord, and let thine enemies be scattered, and let them that hate thee flee before thee. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. Now, if you're a Jew... And you see this happening, and the ark is directing them, and the fire is there in the cloudy pillar. Wouldn't you be caught up in that? Wouldn't that be interesting to watch this happening? God is leading us. We can see it. There's tangible evidence. There it is. You know what their reaction was? They didn't rejoice. There wasn't one amen. Nobody got excited about that. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. And when the people did what? Oh, man, it's hot out here. This is just desert. I'm bored. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. You know what they did? Verse 4, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? <laughs> it is the great trek. <laughs> It's a, it's a bunch of Bursians there going, where's the flesh? <laughs> Amen. Bursians is in the Bible. <laughs> Verse 5. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt. What's the next word? Freely? Rara. Freely? You were a slave, dude. <laughs> that wasn't free. We ate freely. Come on, man. I don't think you're remembering your past just right. I don't think you remember just how bad it was in Egypt. Maybe you've forgotten just how miserable it was when you were lost. That's why you got saved. But how quickly we forget that. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. Really? You're watching God lead you to the promised land that flows with milk and honey. 
and you're going to sit here and say, we want the onions from Egypt. You're crippled too high for crutches. Look at Numbers chapter 12. As if this would help, verse 1, and Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. Moses' older sister was about 13 years older than him. Aaron's three years older than him. And now they're picking on their little baby brother. You know, picking on the leadership didn't help the journey at all. It didn't. The Lord decided, I, I'm, I'm done with Miriam. I, I, I've had enough of this. Strikes her with leprosy. And then Moses prays for some mercy, verse 13. Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. Verse 14, the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days, and after that let her be received in again. He said, she's embarrassed all of us. And it stopped all of us. Verse 15, and Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and the people didn't, what, what, did, they, what did they not do? Journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. She slowed down over a million people marching through the wilderness, one loudmouthed woman gossiping about the pastor. You can just say amen right there, because that's in the Bible. <laughs> that didn't help. Numbers chapter 13, they get right to the edge of the promised land. This is where you dive in the deep end. This is where you say, praise God, man. He's brought us this far. It's time to go in. Let's finish the journey. But Israel says, yeah, uh, we've never been there. This sounds a bit scary. Can we send some spies? And the Lord says, all right, send some spies. You remember the story. Twelve spies go in. Ten spies come back with a bad report. Two guys say, we can do it, Caleb and Joshua. The other ten say, there is no way we are going to be able to finish this journey. And if that's your attitude, while you're on the journey, if you think there's no way I will ever overcome, there's no way that God could give me the victory, if that's your attitude, if you have that kind of unbelief dwelling in your heart, then you are done on your journey. You know what God told them? You guys need to take a few more laps around Mount Sinai. You're going to wander out here for... 38 more years. They'd already been there two years. So a total of 40 years you're going to spend just circling the wilderness. And you know why a lot of people don't make any progress in their spiritual life? Because you get to a point where you're looking right at what God wants you to do. Take this one more step and you're in the promised land and you say, oh, that's too big of a step. There's giants in the land. I can't overcome that. And as soon as that unbelief sneaks in and that rebellion swells up in your heart, I'm not going to take that step. God says, okay, you're just going to wander out here in the wilderness, chasing your tail, no forward progress, journey paused. Now, come back to the book of Deuteronomy. I wanted to show you in Exodus and Numbers, Moses explained this throughout the rest of Deuteronomy 1. You can see it, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Verse 40, but as for you, turn you and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. They're, okay, you guys messed up. The spies brought back an evil report. The journey just got a lot longer. You're not going to make much forward progress. You're just going to have to circle a while. This brings us to chapter 2. You messed up. 
You've been walking away a, a, a while. Now what do you do? Chapter 2, verse 1. Then we turned and took our journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spake unto me, and we can pass Mount Seir many days. Yeah, 38 years. And the Lord spake unto me, saying, Ye have compassed this mountain long enough. Turn you northward. All right, you've learned your lesson. Now go up. No more circles. Time to go up. Time to get into that perfect fellowship right where the Lord wants you. Take your journey. Chapter 2, verse 24. Rise up, take your journey, and pass over the river Arnon. Behold, I have given into thine hand Sion the Amorite, king of Heshbon and his land. Begin to possess it and contend with him in battle. There were a few Gentiles on the eastern side of the river Jordan they had to fight. There's, there's some battles along the way. But he says, rise up. Take your journey. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3. They're fighting various Gentiles on that other side. Chapter 3, verse 21. Chapter 3, verse 21. And now, Moses, by the time we get to the end of this chapter, he's explained all the enemies they had to fight that brings them right to the edge of the promised land once again. And Moses is standing there with them, but he knows he is not allowed to go in. And that brings us to this part, verse 21. And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Thine eyes have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto these two kings. So shall the Lord do unto all the kingdoms whither thou passest. Ye shall not fear them, for the Lord your God, he shall fight for you. And I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might? I pray thee, let me pass, let me go over and see the good land. See it. There's the vision. And see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain in Lebanon. But the Lord was wroth with me for your sakes and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me of this matter. He said, Moses, you don't need to ask again, you're not getting in. This was because one time Moses took the rod and hit the rock when he was supposed to speak to the rock. And it was because the Israelites provoked him. And that's why I said, it's your fault. <laughs> you realize at this stage, what you're reading here, there are only three men in the entire nation of Israel that are over the age of 60. Only three. Moses. Caleb and Joshua, only them, only them. And e even there, the others, there's a 20-year gap at least because they had to die off. In verse number 26, uh, 27, get thee up into the top of Pisgah and lift up thine eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and behold it with thine eyes for thou shalt not go over this Jordan but charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. So we, abo uh, we abode in the valley over against Beth Peor. Moses was allowed to go up on a mountain and look into the promised land from afar, but he couldn't go in. You know why? Moses can't get you into the promised land, but Joshua can. You know what the New Testament spelling of Joshua is? Jesus. Moses can only get you so close. You keeping the law won't get you right where God wants you in the center of His will. That is only found in Jesus. 
He's the only one that gets you over the river Jordan and settled into that perfect will of God right where you need to be. Moses was about to die and God is telling him now, get the nation ready. Get their leader up here. Tell them, follow Joshua. And that's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want to help you prep for the next step of your journey. I have no plans on dying. I didn't bring Garrett in just so that I can step out and he can step in. So don't think anything of that. <laughs> but I want to talk to you about the journey that the Lord wants you to take. Number one, and now, I, like I said, I've given you a lot of scripture. I've just tried to walk you through the progression. Now I just want to talk to you from my heart about the journey. Number one, the journey is worth it. The journey is worth it. The reason it's worth it is because of what you find in the promised land. In the center of God's will, the peace of God ruling in your heart, walking in communion with the Holy Spirit, that is worth all the effort. That is worth all the crosses that you have to carry, the persecution, the sacrifice, the time you spend at the altar. I'm talking your personal altar, not necessarily this one. There is a specific journey that is worth it. You are welcome to take an alternate route if you want, but I promise you it will not end up where you like it. An alternate route would take you back to Egypt. That's where they wanted to go. That's not worth it. You can take another route where you just circle around. Have you guys ever followed the GPS? And the GPS gets lost? And, and, and it just takes you in a circle around Joburg or Pretoria or wherever. Oh, that blessed sound, Hebriakan, Hebriakan, whatever that is. Re recalculating, you know. Trying to find out where are you. The, the GPS doesn't even know. How am I supposed to know? <laughs> That's not a journey worth taking, but this one, the Holy Spirit never gets lost. The Lord Jesus knows exactly the path you need to take. This is a journey worth taking. The problem is we often lose sight of what we are marching towards. We start to look around in the wilderness and there's serpents and scorpions and enemies and it, there's just manna and that's it. And we look around at our current situation and we take our eyes off of what we're pressing toward. The Bible says to run the race with patience, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know why the journey is worth it? Because the author of the journey, the one who planned out the, the race, the course, he's running it with us. He planned it out. I can think of no better plan for my life. Many years ago when I started this race, started this journey, I had no idea what sacrifices lied ahead. I didn't know what the Lord would ask. All I knew was, I want to take this journey with Him. If He's there with me, I don't care where He takes me. I just want to be wherever He is. I want to be as close to Him as I possibly can be. I don't regret one moment of running this race because this race has been worth it. When the Lord called my wife and I to go to Bible school, I had to give up a, a high-paying job. We had really good insurance. Christina had lost our first child through a miscarriage and now she'd fallen pregnant again. We had to give up our insurance and these high-paying jobs to move to a podunk town where I worked at McDonald's living in a mobile home with a massive hole in the wall. We could see outside into the wilderness. <laughs> and I couldn't have been happier because it was right where God wanted me to be. That was part of my journey. I went to that school and got an unaccredited degree. 
it, most of the world would look at that and think, you wasted your time. Not if it's part of your journey. After I graduated, I got to visit Malawi, almost died. A few months later, we said goodbye to our homeland. We left America behind. In the years I spent in Malawi, we spent in Malawi. I had malaria seven times. Christina almost died, had her life threatened on multiple occasions. And I've never regretted the journey. I don't regret one step of it. It's part of the journey. We got to South Africa. We've had our challenges here. But I'll tell you, I think the greatest one, and I'll speak just for myself. Maybe my wife would have something else to say about it. I had no idea how hard it would be to say goodbye to our kids. To have Megan and Caleb, our oldest two, living on the other side of the world and grandbabies. And I still don't regret it. You understand, I don't love them any less. I just love Jesus more. And he's worth that. I'm banking, I'm banking last time. I will not regret having done that for Jesus. And I will have all the time I can get with my kids and my grandkids. I want to run the race with patience. Looking unto Jesus. Take your Bible, come to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. John 16 and verse number 21, Jesus is preparing his apostles for their next step of the journey. And at the moment, they were very sorrowful because Jesus said, I'm going to be taken away. Look at verse 21. Jesus uses this illustration. A woman, when she is in travail, hath what? Sorrow. Because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish. For joy that a man is born into the world. She, her journey was a painful one. But at the end, she gets to hold that blessed little baby. And she holds that baby tight. And she knows all the pain and suffering was worth it. The journey was worth it. Because look at this joy I get to have now. And one day, listen, I know that the Bible says Jesus is going to give us crowns for any service we we perform to him. There is a crown on the other side. I'm not so much worried about the crown. I'm not worried about what goes on my head. I, I'm going to have my eyes looking directly into the eyes of Christ. If there is even a crown waiting there for me, the massive honor it would be to see my Savior look down and watch this. This is all, I'm, this is all I look for. Just to see him smile. To say, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. I don't care if there's a crown or not. Just to see him smile, that makes the journey worth it. All the effort, all the time, all the heartache, all the praying, all the Bible read, all the church, sitting in the heat, whatever you need, Lord, to get me where I need to be. You're worth it. You're worth it. Second thing I want to say about the journey, it's long. Don't make it longer. <laughs> the journey is difficult. Don't make it more difficult. Are we good with that? The journey's long and difficult. Don't make it any harder than it needs to be. I'm going to rehash a couple of things we saw already. Complaining about the journey won't make it any shorter. 
it will make it miserable for every, everybody near you while they're on the journey. Complaining won't help. Listen, golden calves won't help. That was part of their journey. Well, they regretted that one for a while. The journey doesn't have to be as long as the Israelites made it. It didn't need to be that long. I don't know what it is about us that we want to learn things the hard way. I mean, God brought them out from Egypt, right? And then in the second year brought them to the promised land. There it is. That journey could have taken just over two years. 38 years later, they're just making it to the promised land. How many times do we have people get saved when they're a teenager and only in their 60s or 70s are they properly learning their Bible and understanding what it means to walk with God? What happened? You made the journey so much more difficult than it needed to be. You read in the book of Numbers chapter 33. I know it might seem boring when you get to that chapter because all it is is we came out to this place and then we went to this place and then to this place and then to this place. You're reading about your life. It should have been we went to this place, promised land. Oh no, you had 42 other pit stops. You count the cities. There are 42 places they stopped. And if you know your Bible, the number 42 is an interesting number. That's how many months there are in the Great Tribulation. That's how many chapters there are in the book of Job. When you read the book of Matthew, there's 14, 14, 14 generations. It's 42. That's a special number. And Israel got stuck there. They didn't need to visit all those places. You don't have to go through all the heartaches that you're going through if you would just listen to the Lord from the start. Don't make it more difficult than it needs to be. Everybody's heard of growing pains. Okay. You can't avoid that. There is some pain to growing. Amen, teenagers? That's part of it. That's part of it. You don't have to bang your head against a wall while you're growing. You don't have to kick the thing and stub your toe while you're growing. Don't make it more difficult than it needs to be. Life is going to be difficult enough without that. And then lastly, I want to say this. The journey only means something if you finish it. It does you no good to start the journey if you don't finish it. Otherwise, you just die in the wilderness. The journey only means something if you finish it. Anytime you take a road trip, it is a possibility, if you're driving, that you're going to have a flat tire. If the tire goes flat, that isn't the end of the journey. It's, it's an inconvenience. You have to stop and fix it, but you go on. You don't sit there crying about the flat tire and think, that's it, I'll never finish the journey. Man up. Take your medicine. Fix the tire and go on. That's life. One day, guys, the race will be over. You understand this. One day, you won't have the opportunity to run any longer in this race. The race will be over. Either you will stop breathing or Jesus will have the angel sound the trumpet. But then the race is over. Now, you understand, the race will be over. The race is finished. That doesn't necessarily mean you finished the race. Do you follow me there? The race is over. You're done. But, but see, the Lord expected you to get from point A to point B, and perhaps you only made it a quarter, half, three quarters of the way. You didn't finish your course. Now, if you listen to the language of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said, I want to finish my course with joy not with complaining. I want to finish my course with joy. 
He said in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. There's a race, but on that racetrack, there are many lanes. That's your course. Your course is your lane. Stay in your lane. Paul said, I I want to finish my course with joy. When I take my final breath, if the Lord comes before that time, I want to be as far down the track as he expected me to be. I want to be busy running that race, finishing that course. I don't want to get to heaven and the Lord say, I had so much more waiting for you. But you just got sidetracked by so many things that shouldn't have gained your attention. I saw a man once, he was running a race, Olympic runner, and he he was coming down the home stretch and he was about there, just a few steps away from crossing the finish line, winning the gold medal. And, And he got distracted by his own success. And he started looking around and waving to the crowd and he's running with his arms up and he he just kind of jogged the last several meters of the race. What he didn't know is one of his opponents was coming up hustling behind him. And he trucked it all the way past the finish line and beat the guy. You know how embarrassing that must have been? Take my picture, look at me, look at me, oh, look at me, I lost. (laughs) The journey only means something if you finish it. Folks, run all the way to the end. Run to the finish line. They that run in a race, run all. Not part of it, all. Run the whole thing. The first guy who opted for vain glory, he didn't carry his cross over the line. But the other guy, he pushed hard. And he said, okay, I might be in second, but if I push hard, I can be in first. I'll make an effort. I'll make the best effort I can. Now you choose which one you want to be. Runner number one or runner number two. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we read about Paul saying that we're running a race. He he talks about winning a prize, an incorruptible crown. And in that passage, he, he uses running as an illustration, but he also uses boxing. He says, so fight I, not as one that beats the air. So I want to give you another illustration, but this time with a boxer. How many of you know the name Floyd Patterson? Anybody know this name? Floyd? Okay, if you, the, the older crowd, we're all together here. Floyd Patterson. In 1959, he was the world heavyweight champion. Uh, and, and he got in a match with a man named Ingemar Johansson. Floyd Patterson thought there was no way he could lose. He was so full of himself, he thought, I got this. He didn't train hard for the fight. He wasn't worried at all. In the third round... He got knocked down seven times. This is before they put the rules in for a TKO. Seven times he was licking the mat. And after that seventh time, the ref called the fight, said, that's it, he's done. Third round, Ingemar Johansson won the, won the World Heavyweight Championship. Patterson, for the next several months after that, was just depressed, moping around his house. I can't believe I did that. He, just thought, that's it, my career's over, my life is over, I have no more reason to go on, just in a bad place. The man that Floyd Patterson beat to, to win the belt to begin with was a guy named Archie Moore. Archie Moore, you talk about classy, Archie wrote Floyd a letter and said, hey, you can do this. You can, you can win back the title. At this time, in 1960, no one had ever won back their title. If they lost it, it was it. That was it. No one ever won it back. He said, you could be the first one to do it. Learn to do this, try this, and gave him some advice and encouragement. 
Floyd Patterson said, all right, here we go. And he began training, working out, getting better. And almost a year later, to the date that he lost the belt, he was back in the ring with the same man, Ingemar Johansson. And this time, in the fifth round, Patterson hit him so hard, it took them five minutes to wake the guy up. He was unconscious for five minutes, praying to St. Mattress <laughs> in the middle of the ring. You know what I learned from this story? Many things, but you know what really stands out? Patterson got knocked down seven times, but he rose up again. I don't care how frustrating your journey has been so far. Perhaps you've had a few pitfalls. Perhaps you've licked the mat a few times. Maybe a bit embarrassing and oh, I can't believe that happened. Why did I do that? I want you to take courage today. Jesus isn't done with you. The command is rise up and take your journey. There's something waiting for you in that promised land that will make the journey worth it. So whatever you need to do, leave those things that are behind and press toward the mark for the prize of the high, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You'll never regret having done that. Let's all stand, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Take a few minutes. If you would, please think about your journey. I want you to think about your, your course. We're all in the same race, but... I want you to think about your course, your lane. And as you press on in that lane, that prize waiting for you is that perfect fellowship with the Lord, that abundant life where you experience the presence of God like never before. Now, where, what do you need to do to get back on track? I've already asked you to rise up. You're halfway there. You say, Brother Mike, if I just had a pillar of fire or a pillar of a cloud, if I could just see it, you know what? I suspect the Lord's already telling you in your heart right now what you need to do. There's an altar here if you'd like to come visit it, talk to the Lord. Some of you have been going around Sinai way too much. You've become way too familiar with Sinai. Time to go take the rest of the land. Let me say this as well, but perhaps this needs to be said. Maybe some of you are still in Egypt. Friend, if you have not yet applied the blood of the Lamb to your soul, then you're still in bondage in Egypt. You still need to be saved. But, but listen, good news, great news, there's a lot of hope for you. God's not done with you yet. How about today, before you leave, Make sure the blood of the Lamb is on your doorpost. Make sure you know that you're saved. Several are praying. We'll give them a minute.
Our pianist is playing this song and it's very fitting for this. Oh, hear ye brave the sound that moves the earth around. Arise to dare and do. Ring out the watchword true. Come join our loyal throng. We'll rout the giant wrong. Where Satan's banners float, we'll send the bugle note. He says, on to the victory, cries our great commander. We'll move at his command. We'll soon possess the land through loyalty, loyalty, yes, loyalty to Christ. You'll soon possess the land, but you're going to have to fight your way there. But our great commander cries on, take your journey take your journey. Father, thank you this morning for encouraging us, for warning us, for rebuking us. Lord, we do get tired sometimes on this journey. Help us not to be weary in well-doing. I pray you might encourage those that perhaps they've been knocked down a few times. Lord, help them to get, get back up, dust off the sand of the wilderness, and keep pressing toward the mark. Lord, thank you for not giving up on us. Lord, bring us back tonight ready to learn and hear more from you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.